Welcome to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. Your host, Andrew Clark, is joined by heavy hitters Paul Gover and Bruce Williams. Time to get down and dirty. It comes down to whether or not they're prepared to play the same game as him. You jump in the pool with the shark. Oh, I didn't know he was going to bite my foot off. Hello and welcome back to the Auto Action Revolimiter. In this week's show, we're going to look at supercars, F1, ARG, and we're going to roll out a little bit of a rumour file and see what sort of things we can speculate on. I'm going to make the bold claim now that we are the number one Australian motorsport podcast according to Chartable because we're the number one sports news podcast. Well, congratulations us. That's fantastic. Get some fireworks up, Nev. Oh, we're the new because this show's got a couple of great people for me to talk to, which is Bruce Williams and Paul Gover from Auto Action. So, Bruce, great to be sitting here again with you in the office. Thanks, Andrew, and uh, g'day, uh, Paul and Nev in the uh, booth. I was going to say, Paul's not in the office, he's online there, so hello. Hey, it's great to be here, as usual. I've been uh, spending a lot of time in front of the TV lately, and right now I'm wrangling my cats. That's, as you do. There you go. And Ned's wrangling his hair by the look of it. So uh, we've got, we got the all-star cast here today. like Dave has been wrangling a shaver, <laughs> a razor blade of recent times either, does it? No, a, a young, good-looking woman told me I look better with the beard. Yes, and right. the great thing about podcasts is that uh, um, talking about how we all look is pretty crap. So let's move on and let's have a quick break. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 news know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 in the build up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Alrighty, welcome back to the Rev Limiter. We're going to kick it off by having a chat about supercars because parody. They keep talking about it. What are we going to do, Bruce? Parody, that's uh, that filthy P word again. <laughs> Listen, um, I mean, everybody's whinging a bit. Well, people are complaining about it. People are trying to make a story out of it. I suppose at the end of the day, there's uh, doesn't appear to be much else to talk about apart from the driving standards and the rules of engagement. So parody's a big thing, you know, when people don't, when everybody's not sharing the races around, people have got to go and look for excuses. Isn't that right, Paulie? Absolutely. Excuses. They I've, blame I've had, the odd, I've had the odd excuse. The other thing is nobody wants to share the wins around. They all want to win all the races. Well, we, we just like data, isn't it? No one wants to share it. That's right. The other thing is if you're not winning, the other bloke must be cheating. Isn't that how it works, Bruce? Well, the parody's <laughs> not right. But the, problem, the, the biggest problem we've got at the moment is that the teams that are doing the two, the, the two best teams that are doing the best job are obviously in Chevrolet's. Yeah. So that automatically equates to the fact that there's some sort of a uh, disparity between the Mustang and the Camaro, but uh, maybe it's not there. There's obviously a little bit of fluff and bubble going on in the in the background with the engine mapping, which Andrew, we've, we're going to talk a little bit about. We are, yes. I suppose the main thing for me, we all three of us have um, spent a lot of time, I would imagine, in the last week or two talking to different people about parody and we've got the concept of sporting parody which is what's actually coming out on the track and technical parody which is the input to it we don't get to see much of the data i mean we we see little bits of it sneaking out here and there but we we get to see the spreadsheets where people have mapped lap times and all that sort of stuff there's clearly a sporting parody issue but do you think there's a technical parody issue as well pg yeah i think there is and and you know why for me you look at the pit lane and you look at where what the peaking order is and yet you've got triple eight in garage number one with a couple of uh, Camaros. But then there are a whole lot of Mustang teams, lots of them. I think, is it is it four or five in a row from last year's teams championship? The next four teams, are they really that bad from last year to this year that they filled second, third, fourth, fifth in the teams championship and now they're P nowhere? So, yeah, there's something going on. Yeah, and we... we... We spoke about it briefly. We've spoken about it a couple of times. We've had it in the magazine. It's all about the way the power comes on when you put the accelerator. So they're not able to balance the car in the corners properly. They're cooking their rear tyres, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and look, 
there's some chat that the Camaro has a straight line advantage in a terminal speed. There's no indication. There's no evidence to show that at all. No. There's, there's not even any indication that the car's in acceleration. What it comes down to is, and we've talked about this several times now, over one pure lap when the tyres are gripped up, there's probably very little difference between the two cars, hence the qualifying looks pretty good on paper for the Mustang. Yeah. But what happens is as the tyres get hot and grip levels start to drop away, and we're talking a few laps into the race, anywhere where the the throttle application induces a little bit of, of, uh, a little bit of sudden acceleration or misbehaviour, that's what cooks the rear tyres. And that's where the Mustang guys are saying that um, – there's an issue, and it's it's not early on in the race. It's 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 once the race, once the tyres start to heat up. Now there was a map change made to the Mustangs for 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 Perth, but as far as I'm aware, I don't believe that it addressed that particular issue. It was another issue within the mapping. It, so it hasn't had that transition. So it's a transition from when you come off the <coughs> throttle and then you get back on that first part when the engine revs are relatively sn- slow and you're squeezing the throttle on, and that's when you want the car to be stable and to, to, to behave itself, and that's when the problem seems to be happening. So my spies are telling me the, they've had both engines on the dyno for 12 days running and that the new map should be approved in time for this weekend. Not guaranteed, but should be. Is there one map or two map? Because Barry was saying last week they were expecting some sort of change for the Camaro as well. It's not just the Ford. Yeah, I hear the Camaro one's less likely this weekend, but it probably will come at the same time just to keep everybody happy. Um, and they're talking just minor, yeah, really minor things. They're talking about trims in when the cars come off pit lane, you know, a little bit yeah. tiny bit like that. Just it, it's it's not so much on track performance. Mm. It's more about when they start them up, they're a bit rich or they don't idle properly yeah. and things like that, which over a period of time it changes everything. So you've got to remember part of the problem with this, and nobody seems to understand this, these cars and these engines have all been tr- tuned and trimmed in Queensland, and majority of the work was being done in pretty warm weather, a lot of humidity in Queensland. I know that they have air-conditioned dyno cells and all that sort of stuff, but it all changes. When you come to Western Australia or you go down to Tasmania, the cold start proceedings and the, the, the air density and the air temperature changes dramatically. So there could be some more issues arrive. We don't know, but you know Tasmania will show a few things because the, the the straight line performance is critical at um, Simmons Plains, but also coming off that hairpin, you know, rear wheel control is so critical to to being able to drive off the corner. Um, and, of course, if there's anybody in a Mustang and there's a slightest little bit of hesitation, there's more than likely to be a blue, if, if the car's not in front at that stage, a blue car with a what looks like a moon and some couple of cows headbutting. <laughs> if there's a little bit of hesitation... Poor old, the driver of that poor car will probably run in, just accidentally give him a little bit of a tap, um, unintentional, of course. And, of course, the stewards would, would agree with me that it would be unintentional. And, um, yeah, so they need to alleviate any suggestion <laughs> that, that there might be a, a misfire and board off the throttle. Can I explain myself properly? Yes, I think so. But there are also blokes, Bruce, who uh, would be known to let the car breathe a little bit on the exit so that the uh, cow behind enjoying itself might give him a little bit of a push down the straight. Nothing wrong with that. Um, the other thing we're hearing a little bit about is some um, inconsistencies from inside a garage um, and the microsector data that I saw covering the back straight or the long straight at Perth uh, indicated that there was quite a bit of difference in a four-car team between the four cars. And that's not just the Ford, that's the Chev as well. Are there any Chev four-car teams? Oh, yes, there is one, isn't it? Yeah, there is BJR. one. BJR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brad Jones yeah, Racing, is, are they cut back to four cars, have they? Normally, when you turn up at a race meeting and they've got Super 2 cars and Super 3 cars, and it does look sometimes like Brad Jones motors, doesn't it? You know, Engines has been an issue. We're hoping, we hope that they're going to start rolling out the change that we need and then um, we can stop talking about it, which is yeah. what we really want, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we do. We do want to stop talking. One thing we would say, though, on, on the <laughs> engine side of things is that the team seem to be very happy with the reliability engine of the engines. The durability of the engine seems to be great. Um you know, talking to Kenny Mack at KRE, the engines look really reliable. They're leaking down really well after races. So long-term, the engines, this this tuning stuff, it wouldn't matter whether it was 17 Mustangs out there or 24 Mustangs out there racing. They all need a bit of a trim because every one of them's, a, you know, they all say they're the same, but they're all slightly different. So, you know, you're going to be trimming and tuning them forever. 
eventually at some stage somebody's going to have to say, that's it, no more, go away and race. Um, we've spoken a little bit about the, the chassis and trying to get them more crash-proof and a few other things. I mean, we're hearing there are some changes being tested and running on the um, the front and rear gussets. Uh, they've also been hang testing on, on, on what's a gusset. Where is it? How does it work? Well, Bruce said it's the bit in the middle of the pantyhose. <laughs> like great minds think alike. But in this case, can you actually narrow it down a bit? Because we're not a visual. Two bars in- intersect. You know, it's somewhere between 90 or 45 <clears throat> degrees or even a greater angle. It's like a little brace that wraps yeah. itself around the two bars and joins them up. And it's effectively a brace. It, it, it triangulates in a very narrow area and just gives it a bit of strength. Yep. There was also some talk about them fitting a sleeve over some vulnerable areas. But, look, I'd like to find out how they're going to test their, their gussets to see if they're working. Is someone going to go and headbutt the concrete at Simmons Plains to, to validate their, their updates or not? It's always possible. Muffler tips cutting tyres, under tray strength and body panel brackets, I believe, have also been on the radar for um, looking at. So Exhaust tips have been cutting tyres for a long time. So these engineers that get paid six-figure salaries to make the cars go faster, which some of the teams are not, they've now managed to divert them across the things so insightful as exhaust tips. Yes, and, yes. and of course, there's a simple way to stop the exhaust tips rubbing the t- cutting the tyres down. Don't run into them with your wheel. Correct. Pretty straightforward. Mm. If you don't hit them, then there's very little chance you're going to get a puncture from one. Well, maybe they're not coping with the fact that the exhaust pipe's a little bit further forward oh, in the car. Look. <laughs> don't make excuses for them. This is not Steiner supercars. You don't get a trophy just for turning up. All right, next. Really? <laughs> so how are we going to go in Tasmania? How's the racing going to go? Well, it's being dominated one by one particular bloke over recent years. Brody Kostecki's been doing incredibly well this year. But it's Triple Eight that have dominated down there. Seventeen out of the last twenty-five races have been won by a Triple Eight car, so it's pretty scary. The question now is, you know, we know they're doing really well, but is this dominance going to translate into the new cars as well as the old cars? Well, who knows? It's early days, but there could be a fight between the uh, the two brands of caffeine uh, distributors. <laughs> um, I'd like to see, as we discussed with Baz uh, last week. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the driver's briefing because the rules of engagement will be open for discussion. And um, I'd love to find out how much squealing goes on in the cabin if somebody um, starts to give SVG a bit of a rule of engagement in the rear quarter panel. Well, I think Brady's been quite clear about that and he talks about it in this week's auto action that he's going to be asking what are the rules of engagement because he's a bit confused. Uh, he thought he had a little bit more clarity, but then they took the clarity away from him. So he wants to know what he's allowed to do. And then he's going to go out there and he's going to do it. But his theory is if Van Gisbergen can hit him in the middle of the corner, he can hit Van Gisbergen in the middle yeah. of the corner. Oh, that's right. And what a beautiful segue into um, talking about Brody Kostecki because, Andrew, in our latest issue of, the, of Auto Action, we've got a four-page feature. You did an interview with Brody. Yep. And um, one of our colleagues said that um, he thought he knew a bit about Brody. He's been following Brody for racing for a long time. But he actually said to me what a great story it is because he now understands the guy. He knows a lot more about him, and it was really an interesting read. And, you know, I think Brody's one of those guys, because he doesn't, you know, wave his own flag too much and he keeps to himself, there's probably a lot of people out there that don't know a lot about him. And, you know, he's a complex young man. Yeah, but he's a racer's racer. Like, right from a very young age, all he wanted to do was race. But the competitive spirit said, I'm going to win. And he never wanted to come second in anything. And uh, because he's a bigger boy also, in karting, he got pushed up a class every year. So he was racing against older boys and uh, and then went over and did some stuff in the States before he came back. So it's interesting. I mean, I think his story is kind of not something that we hear much of and, and certainly very different to anybody else in supercars. I don't know anybody else who went over to America and tried to get into NASCAR and gave that up and came back here. Yeah, no, and, and he did it young too. He didn't just bail out you know, oh, no, when absolutely. he was in his late teens. He went over there very young. The family yeah. made a commitment, but um, good, on, good on him. And um, he still harbours desires to, to do some NASCAR racing. And why wouldn't you? Yeah, I think we'll see him do some wild cards type events over well, there. I was just going to say, he also suffered when he first came to Australia that nobody could work out which of the Kostekis was which because there are 18 of them there for a while. <laughs> and we all knew one of them was really good. And then without being unkind to him, we realised it was the larger of them. The full, <laughs> the full strength Kostecki was the one, not the Kostecki lights. who are his cousins 
Or are they his brothers or his nephews? No, no, they're, they're cousins. So the, the Kostecki brothers, which Kostecki brothers racing, are the two brothers who moved from the Ukraine. Okay. Um, and anyway. We'll anyway, about. one thing I want to ask. We've talked endlessly for the last <laughs> couple of weeks about uh, Shane Dan Gisbergen and Will Brown and uh, Brody Kostecki and uh, Feeney. Um, there's a bit of pressure on a few other people to perform, oh. Andrew. Um who do you reckon needs to pull their finger out and get on with it in Simmons Plains? I reckon Cam Waters is the one who's probably under the most pressure well, to... Well, um, funny. You should uh, say that. You're wrong. Oh, who do you think? Uh, what? What, what do you think? What's Chazzy Mostert's teammate's name? Oh, oh Nick no, no, but no, we're no, not expecting him to second. be winning. Hey, Paul, Paul, you're talking about something that's not really relevant. I mean, Cam Waters is a front runner. We're looking for a bloke that should be winning, that isn't. Wasn't Percat signed last year on that basis? But if you look, oh, look at the stats, oh, he's... Oh, you're making this look silly by making these comments. <laughs> getting back to Cam Waters. Yeah, okay. All right. So I'm a bit perplexed. Are you? I am a bit because, um, well, Cam seems to have gone MIA and there seems to be a bit of internal chat around that he might have... Uh, might have had a bit of a talking to recently. <laughs> yes, we've certainly heard a little bit about that. But um, Cam Waters is the one I think we all thought would be um, a serious contender this year. But yeah. he's, he's nowhere. And I'm disappointed. I'm a huge fan of Cam. I like his racing. I love the fact that he, he gets stuck in on the in the sprint cars and he's going pretty good in those. But I, I'm concerned because he, he, he went all right at uh, Newcastle in that first race and, in fact, got the got the awarded the race win. Yep. But we really haven't seen much of him since then. And the fact that James Courtney, who, um, well, you'd put him in the pensioner class now, wouldn't <laughs> well, he's, he? He um, should be racing against us. Well, <laughs> anyway, the, the reality is that uh, James is um, is consistently been Tickford's best-performing driver, and good luck to him because he's had, uh, you know, if you look at last year's results, he had some terrible calamities, most of which weren't of his making. But good on him for having a good run this year. But I'm concerned. What's going on with Cam? Come on, you, you, you've you got friends in high places. At it could be, but uh, maybe it's a Paul Gover question, Jim, that he did the article on um, on Cam earlier in the year. And I think- well, and he said, no more nice guy, no more second place. Well, he's not getting in second place. No. I think he'd be happy with a second place at the moment. Mate, second place, he'd, he'd probably he'd probably give his left one for, for a second place, you know. I mean, he's still he's second place in his own team to Courtney. I don't know what's gone wrong, whether it's the engineering of his car or the fact that he's got a whole lot of habits because he's only ever driven, you know, super-duper cars and he's maybe adjusted to the way he likes them to feel. That's clearly the case with some of the other guys in the field. Let's talk about the number 17 driver, Will Davo, who likes the car perfect. Maybe Cam has learned some bad habits. Maybe he's got a touch of the Daniel Ricardos. He's learned a bunch of bad habits. He needs to unwind it. But he's also doing the sprint car stuff. I just don't see what's going on or why. Who else is under pressure apart from the uh, DJR blokes and Cam? And Percat. Yeah. Um, look, at the end of the day, if you, if you look at a couple of teams, I think Groves are going really well. Davey yeah. Reynolds is putting on a good job. Young uh, Payne's performing really well. well. They're the number one fortune, yeah, aren't they? Um, we caught up with young... Um, Mostert. Is he under any pressure? Uh, He's second in the championship. Wouldn't have thought so. He's sort of there or thereabouts. Okay. And, and I don't know. I mean, the cars are all the same. Has there been any residual hangover from changing from a Holden to a... No. Ford, I wouldn't have thought so. No, I don't think there's any, and that, that wouldn't um, be a factor at all. No, but why? What are you hearing, Paul? Are you hearing something? Um, you're hearing something down at um, Walkinshaw Andretti. What have you heard? Oh, no, I wasn't hearing. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. I just I know at the beginning of the year, you know, they changed everything for him last year to try to get him going. He's a lovely bloke and all that, and he and he and Chaz get along very well. But they've tried a whole bunch of different engineers and different setups and things to try and get him going. But if you look at it at the moment. Um, and the best way to compare any race car drivers against his teammate, which is exactly why we're talking about Cam Waters against James uh, Rip, Rip Van uh, Courtney, the oldest man out there. Um, <laughs> if you look at him against Chaz, he's not doing well. Um, and that is really the fundamental basis of all this stuff. And so we're talking rumours a little bit though, PG. I mean, there's some some rumours swirling around Cam Waters and Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. What have you heard? Much? Uh, yeah, I heard I heard this week for the rumour file that WAU have had a chat to Cam Waters now. Whether they've actually had a chat or they're just mulling it over, I believe 
that they would like to have Chaz and Cam together. <laughs> Remember those days, Bruce? Oh, they were good old days. <laughs> yeah. they? I mean, they were the days when teammates would put on really good racing and entertain everybody by the fact that they were taking each other out. <laughs> exactly correct. <laughs> now that they're in opposition teams, they don't get near each other. Yeah, so, uh, but, you know, like if you if you look at this sort of situation, you go, well, Cam's not doing well at Tickford. What's Cam thinking? And WOW have got one guy going really well and one guy, you know, under a lot of pressure. Uh, what would they be thinking? And it's pretty easy to come up with, well, you know, uh, maybe these blokes need, these teams need to get to have a chat to the other, each other and see what's going on. Teams, what am I talking about? The drivers need to talk about what's going on for the future. How are we feeling about Andre Heimgartner? Would he be under any pressure at the moment or is it at just the, a Brad Brad's? Jones thing? Uh, I don't think so. I think, um, I think Andre has shown some some signs of of him of his you know what he's capable of. It's it's you know it's one of those things we we don't know. I mean, Andre could be the guy that steps up at Simmons Plains and blows everybody away. He's one of those. He seems to be one of those sort of guys. Every now and again, he just he has a Pucks really fantastic yeah. weekend. I think he, I do rate him. I think if you look at him a couple of years ago at um, at the Ben Motorsport Park, he dominated that weekend. So look, who knows. I think I, I spoke to Brad, uh, Western Australia for them was a shocker. They went down a particular direction that they thought they had a really strong setup and it turned out to be a disaster. The first practice session, they were the four slowest cars and I think they struggled to get back anywhere near the front from there. So, you know, maybe if they rock up at Simmons Plains with a good setup, who knows, they might be there thereabouts straight away. As I said, young uh, Todd Hazelwood, uh, we had a chat to him for the latest issue. He's looking forward to Simmons Plains and, you know, for a single tar- car team, they're doing a great job as well. So interesting what racing this weekend, Andrew. I think absolutely. It's a, it's a good little track though, isn't it? We've all been there before. It's a, it's a bull ring. There's not many corners. There's not much place you can make up time. So you've really got to could have got to nail it. And uh, I'm looking forward to heading down there on some Saturday morning. So it'll be a lot of fun. Um, anything else we want on supercars, guys? Uh, no, that's about it for now. Let's have a quick break then. Okay, we're back. We just want to have a quick chat about the Speed Series. So uh, they raced last weekend. It was on stand. Not many people got to see it. What did we think of the racing there, guys? We've got um, all their classes were running, I think, for the first time this year. Yeah, they had the majority of their classes, the ARG categories. There was no Touring Car Masters. So uh, that's really the only category that they've got that wasn't there. Um, They had TCR, which they're still promoting as their show class their main category they had trans am with a solid i think there were 20 odd cars in trans am they had 13 cars in uh, tcr um they had nine s5000s they had a few gt cars um and uh kumo series which was a joke (laughs) and um we also then had uh, the hijacked Australian Production Car Championship. I'm not sure whether that's an ARG category. They've done some deal with the bloke that owns one of the uh, other media outlets, and I think they jointly own the Australian Production Car Championship, but uh, not quite sure about that one. Well, we'll get to all that in a second. Let's um, Racing, was there anything we really want to talk about on the racing? What, yeah, what was yeah, good? yeah. I think, I, look, Nash, Nash Morris won the weekend in Trans Am, and you go, yeah, okay, so he's got wealthy family and blah, 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 blah. He outraced Moff. Now, it's not Alan Moff, it's the other Moff, but, I mean, there was some great racing in those Trans Am stuff. And, and as a bloke who likes watching cars move around, the one takeout for me out of the whole Trans Am weekend is take those horrible Hoosier tyres and put them on the super-duper cars <laughs> because the cars move around. These are blokes sliding through turn one sideways. The action, as well as the fact that they're racing, you know, I, th- I thought the racing was really, really good. The TCR stuff was pretty rubbish. The S5000, the cars are fast and there's some good drivers in there, but it's a joke because there's not enough of them. And I don't know what the production car race was all about. I, there were just, it looked to me like wacky races. It looked like they went around the car park and said, anybody want to go and have a go? Look, here we go. Everybody all out together. And there were lots of cars, but it was very stupidly confusing. And then the Fanatec Endurance, whatever it's called, the GD3 category, um, okay racing. But how can you have it a championship when the 888 cars don't turn up? 
Yeah, no, Roland was pretty pissed off about the timing of the scheduling of the calendar because he told them they were going to, you know, they're supporting the Asian Championship this year and that's where they were. They had their truck down there should they needed to sell any spare parts for some of their customers, but that basically was it. Yep. Look, you, you, what you say, Paul, about Trans Am is, fanta- is, is absolutely correct. We've been fans of Trans Am racing for a long time. It's a great category. It, it's it? a great category. The cars you can buy brand new for about 170000 bucks. They've gone up a little bit over the last few years. But the big key to them is they've basically got no aerodynamics. They've got okay yep. brakes. They've got okay shock, Penske shock absorbers. They've got a about 450 horsepower, nearly 500 horsepower, four-speed gearbox, and no aerodynamics. And on a on a rag tyre, and what I call a rag tyre, it's not a radial tyre, it's an old-school bias ply tyre like, you know, group... <laughs> It's a cross ply. In the 60s and 70s. It's like my old Hang on. Cross plies are back from the 50s, mate. My Volkswagen, my first car, Volkswagen Beetle had. And that was brand new. He got it in 1951. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But the thing about it is, what you need to explain is that when you have a cross ply or a bias ply, whatever you want to call it, the, the way the tyre performs is completely different. It, it, it gives you the ability to drift and slide. Yeah, well, the rim moves inside the tyre and, you know, there's a lot yeah. of movement. But we don't want to go, let's not make this a conversation about tyres. We can watch, <laughs> listen to Supercars TV if we want to have a bloody show about tyres. Well, but there is one important story out of this, though, is that, like, the tyres might not give you a lot of grip or whatever, but no. they're not degrading. They're a constant way through. Well, they do degrade after a little while, but they can be driven sideways. Yeah. They, they, they they don't destroy themselves. Yeah. Like a radial would be. I mean, a radial, if you drove it like that at Phillip Island in a supercar, it'd be all over in a couple of laps. Yeah. But um, yeah. no, it is great racing. It's it's economical. It's affordable. And you've got guys like Nash and, you know, Benny Grice and plenty of other young kids having it. Well, not Benny's young, but he's a good <laughs> young charger, you know, up against guys like Kelly and... Um, Dang, which Kelly? They're about 40. They're as bad as the Kostekis. You mean Owen Kelly? The one from Tasmania, not Rick or Chaz or any any of the I other never, ones. I never got a chance to get the Kelly's name out before you interjected. But yeah, Owen Kelly, another bloke who incidentally did do quite a lot of racing in America in the lower yep. divisions of NASCAR. Yep. Spent some time in supercars. He's been a pretty handy driver. So, And he's been racing pretty hard. in. Um, he's been one of the front runners in Trans Am. So Nash did a pretty good job. He's been on the cusp for a while, so it's good that he actually, you know, Got, got out of his uh, old man's shadows and won on his own merit. It was good. It was good racing. Moff's still having a crack. So um, what more can you ask for? Absolutely not but, much. But um, I think, like a lot of other people do, that ARG need to uh, recognise the fact that if they want their categories to be or their show to be successful, they're going to have to start pushing Trans Am a bit more because I think the other things are uh, they're not uh, they're not delivering them the sort of interest that um, they should be. Is there too much reliance um, for the TCR of this World Cup that's coming out later in the year, and they think that's going to be the saviour? Who cares? It'll be dead. It'll be dead before then. The way it's going, if they think that's going to be the saviour. Then they're going to be sadly mistaken because I'd be surprised if many cars come out here. They've done some really weird things. I don't know what the decision, who the decisions makers are down at ARG these days, but they recently sacked their media guy, Grant Rowley. And, and did a good job. And Grant did a great job. I don't know. I don't think he was expensive or whatever. He did a great job. We were always bombarded by media reports and, and media updates after every race and all the rest of the stuff. Nowadays, you had to go scratching around on their website to try and find out what was going on if you if if you didn't have um, Stan to watch it. And uh, to be quite honest, the whole thing's pretty disappointing now. So do you think it's in trouble? I'm not sure. I'm a bit concerned that they've put all their eggs in the basket of relying on Motorsport Australia to promote their events, and they don't seem to be doing a very good job of that. Oh, hang on. I did hear some radio ads on 3OW last week down in Melbourne. Oh, because 3OW is a, a, a notoriously big supporter of motorsport. They <laughs> I was about to say, that, like, and not only that, most of them are at home in their rocking chairs with a cup of tea, and I know because I, you know what I mean. Like, if you're going to do that sort of stuff, I'd give them, I'd give them some feedback. There appeared to be nobody there, so I hope they didn't spend too much money on advertising because it didn't work. So now I'm going to step up with a little bit of a whack. It's early in the show, I know, but I'm going to hijack this section because we're in the ARG Speed Series 
blah, blah, blah section. So we touched it, Paul touched on it before about the Australian Production Car Championship. Now, the Australian Production Car Championship is one of the few categories in Australian motorsport that actually has an official Australian Motorsport Australia Championship status. It's been around for decades. It, it started officially in the late 80s, and it's been a category that's been somewhat based on production cars. So things like Evos and Subarus and BMWs and 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 Mercedes-Benz and all that sort of thing have been important cars in the categories. Back in the 90s, you had um, Commodores and Falcons and, you know. And Toyota Corollas with me. Yeah, correct. Suzuki Swift with me. And Paul Gove is actually an Australian production car champion, is believe it? it or not, for the under two-litre class. There you go. I remember I used to sit there and listen to him tell me all about how he beat <laughs> three other people in the, in the race. Anyway. I digress. But it was a crackingly good class, though, wasn't and it? And, of course, it's all a bit confusing because you've got a New South Wales Championship, which runs a slightly different regulations. You've got the Australian Championship and you've got and you've got the Bathurst 6-Hour, which is an ARG-owned product. So somehow or other, Motorsport Australia has allowed an iconic standalone championship to be hijacked by an organisation that wants to push forward on a category called GT4. So they've they've they're not even the GT4 cars aren't even racing to their own regulations because <laughs> they fitted semi-slick tires on, the same tires as the production cars race on and put them out in the field. So there were five or six GT4 cars on the weekend and they were basically between two, you know, roughly a couple of seconds a lap faster than the best performing um, production car of the Sherrins and you know, Sharon's have been this, one of the mainstays of production car racing in this in this country for many years, and supported it and done really well. Blah blah blah. But you know, they're finishing fifth and sixth on the track, and basically the the coverage that they got on TV was 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 a non-event. So I want to understand how most sport Australia have done this, allowed this to happen. And I can tell you, I've had some really interesting feedback from people that have been invested in production car racing for a long time, and they have got the shits. Sorry, Sterlo, I used the word shits, but they've got the shits. <laughs> but the, um, we were told last year, weren't we, that GT4 is the future for production car racing, so you're not so convinced? Well, I think GT4 is a great category, but, um, you know... Should it replace production cars? Clearly, it could... Oh, well, I still think there's a place for production car racing. Yeah. Admittedly, the top of the class, the top of the tree in production car racing is expensive and they may be too heavily modified in some ways. But GT4, there's less GT4 cars racing now than what there was four years ago. What's 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 gone wrong? You know, and I know that um, there's a media outlet in, in Northern Australia who uh, that bloke Roland Dane has <laughs> something to do with. And, of course, Roland's pushing GT4, and I got sucked into supporting it as well, but I'm pretty disappointed by this. I mean, these Australian production car blokes are basically running around getting flogged by some people who have decided it's a good thing to get involved in, and, you know, they're just making them look stupid, and it's not right. Well, there you go. Um, you got anything you'd like to add, Paul? Yeah, I was going to say, Paul, what have you got to say? Well, from my point of view, it's called GT4. It's the next step down from GT3. Shouldn't they be racing with the GT3 cars like they have been? Why have they stuck them in with the production cars? Do we need to have another category ramping over the top? No, we don't. We need to have some sort of structure to the rules that says, that's like saying, oh, you know, uh, three bikes have got some of these uh, slicks and wings cars. Let's put them in with the Formula Fords. You know, like where was the, I don't understand the thinking behind but the thought process was because Roland outlined it to, outlined it to us last year in one of our mags. That's going. Their aim is to replace production cars with GT4. That's what the whole point of it. Was. No, his aim his aim is to do that. And had you noticed that Triple Eight is the Australian agent for Mercedes AMG racing cars? Yes. So what does he sell? Oh, that's right. They sell AMG GT. GT4 cars. Right. He didn't shy away from that, but he said, you know, he wants to see them. No, no, no. But, I mean, look, I understand. All, I understand all of that. But a lot of the guys who are out driving these production cars are old-fashioned dealer-type people. So you've got Medecki out there driving a Mustang that he sells out of his workshop. The Sherrins have got BMWs that they're tied up with. You know, there's a lot more diversity. If we go 100% down the GT4 path, 
you'll cut off all the blokes at the bottom. So the last 20 cars on the grid for the six hour, they won't be welcome because there's there's no way those cars are going to qualify for uh, or unless they're the invitational cars in the GT4 race. Well, whatever they've done, it hasn't worked because they've lost some a significant number of Australian production car competitors on, from the same sort of fields and numbers that they were running last year. So as I said, my feedback is from some serious competitors in the sport. They are really annoyed about what's going on. And I just think that that uh, these people that want GT4 to be the prime category are using these other people as a stepping stone. So I hope these other people enjoy being stepped on because that's what's happening. We also want to talk about something which is not so, I don't know, not so pleasant at the moment. The, um, the Fink uh, coroner's inquest into the death uh, in the 2021 race of a spectator. I mean, it's come out and it's been some pretty damning statements in there um, with regards to the processes and to some of the things that gone on. I mean, we've got the Northern Territory coroner. Well, you haven't talked about what the event is yet. It was the Fink, it's the Fink Desert Rally. The 2021 Fink Desert Rally, or race, I think they call it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right, which is basically a race from roughly Alice Springs at Fink and then they stop and go back the yeah, other way. Two thirty each way. It yeah. follows the route of yeah. the old uh, railway line, yeah, the stock route. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing, uh, and the other thing is that Toby Price fame has brought a bit of fame to it because he's a Dakar winner and he likes doing it on his bike, and he's also done it on a bike and in a in he's a. Won, he's track. won the event in in, in both, both categories on yeah. one event. That's right. But it's um, I mean it's a great and it's, and you know largely historic event in Australia. I mean it's been running since the mid nineteen seventies, so. I think we've all we've all followed it. We've all looked at it. We've all thought it'd be great to go and have a look at it. Um, but you know, there's there's some issues, and I think you know um, about safety. And, and we're talking about spectators because the um, the spectators don't have any protection. And when it came through in this coroner's hearing, you know, you, you've got some concerns coming through about the whether or not Motorsport Australia has enforced its regulations on the organisers. Um, and the coroner from New Northern Territory, Elizabeth Armitage made some very critical observations regarding documents that were labelled highly confidential and highly privileged. Um, and she was concerned that we're sweeping a bit of safety under the um, under the, the doormat. Andrew, it's an interesting point. It comes on the back of some, um, some similar findings and some similar investigations that are ongoing at the moment in, in regards to uh, Targa Tasmania and some fatalities down there. And it's very, very sad when anybody gets injured or hurt in motorsport, but... Um, I'd say there's a fair bit of pressure about to come on to uh, some of the people at uh, Motorsport Australia because, unfortunately, um, the mainstream media and I'm, you know, outside of motorsport media have have gotten onto this. And when uh, when motorsport's making the headlines for all the wrong reasons, it's not a good thing. And and governments get nervous too because they're partly responsible and they fund this. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to hear a lot more about it. We haven't seen the actual finding yet, but. Um, we've covered it a bit in the latest issue of the magazine and, um, you know, you can Google and find it online from the ABC did a big report about it as well. And it, it uh, makes some very uncomfortable reading for, uh, for uh, motorsport industry people. And um, I think what's disturbing from my point of view is that there are a number of events that um, people have been getting hurt involved and, and, and they're not circuit racing events where, which I regard circuit racing as being pretty fundamentally safe. You know, if my kid said to me, I want to go go-kart racing or I want to go and, you know, play Aussie Rules football, there's less chance they're going to get hurt playing, you know, go-karting than they are playing Aussie Rules football. But the reality is that we all pay, those of us that compete, our insurance policies and our event sanction fees and all of those things go up exponentially because of the cost of insurance rises when these sort of events happen. So I'm deeply concerned as somebody who, you know, obviously covers the sport in great depth that uh, this sort of uh, critical analysis is taking place. Mm. I think there'll be a lot more to come from it. So a few issues ago, we spoke about the um, the Targa Tasmania report. Um, and in that, they were talking about not following some of the recommendations done by a safety report. And in this case, I think Targa was two or three safety reports and they were all ignored. In this case, we've got a 2018 report by uh, by Troy Bennett, which was an internal kind of study, which said we needed to do some things to protect the spectators. Uh, and then we didn't. Yeah, again, I think this is um, – it, it is concerning. Um, there's a lot of arguments going on in place at the moment with, with regards using the word, you know, using safety as an issue, and I think that Motorsport Australia need to have a good look at themselves with review to 
regards to what's actually, you know, what is actually going on and not focus on some of the narrow points of, of which, which is easy for them to control. I think they need to be looking at the hard questions, not the easy ones. Yeah, I think this um this is one going to blow up. Well, not blow up. It's going to keep bubbling away and it's going to come to the surface. I mean, there are, as you said, serious uh, issues around safety that we have to address, not to, not just because of insurance, obviously, but because people are getting hurt and killed. And, Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a, a factor that needs to be brought to uh, brought out to attention and uh, just stopping cars running at Fink is not going to solve the problem, is it? No. no we can look elsewhere. All it'll do is delay the inevitable. You know what I mean? And the problem they have with the Fink is that the, the course goes on for a long way and spectators want to go, you know, if there's no actual control. And I know this because I my history in rallying goes back a very long way. Um, they need to have more control over who the people are and where they are. Now, I have not been to Fink, um, but I know that there'd be all sorts of problems limiting access and stuff, particularly with locals who are just going to jump on a quad bike or some sort of dirt bike and ride out there. But this was a place... Uh, as I understand it, where there was some discussion about, gee, is that an appropriate place to be? Yeah, and, um, and let's not forget yeah. too, I think some of the responsibility on this sort of things unfortunately does fall on people. As a spectator, you really you need to be mindful about where it is that you place yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. And that's one of the issues. I think when people get hurt in cars and killed in cars, that's a different story. But uh, obviously when it comes to spectators, you know, people need to, yeah. people have to take some responsibility for themselves um, because yeah. motor. They also need to be, they need to be educated though, Bruce. That's the other thing. Understand what can go wrong. Where oh, that's the why. problem. These some of these cars. This particular vehicle was a trophy truck. It would have been travelling at really high speed. It hit a big bump. The rear axle broke. Yep. And the driver lost control. And I can only imagine how. How sad and upset he was, and his co- and his navigator would be as a result of this. But you know, people don't understand. If I go and watch some motor racing somewhere, I'm always it's always in the back of my mind that okay, he's going that direction. But if something goes wrong, he and he and he turns hard left, where's he going to go? So you always got to be mindful of what happens. And it's just it's a it's an it's a tragedy that I don't want to talk about, but we have to. No, it is. But unfortunately, I think something has to happen. So. Uh... I think we'll be keeping a bit of attention, a bit of a spotlight on this in auto action, and uh, we'll see where we get to. And um, just for Nev's sake, we're going to have another break. All righty, we're back now. Uh, let's go through. We've got two previews that we want to do because we've actually done our supercars preview out of sequence. So uh, my run sheet's uh, thrown out the window. Well, not really a run sheet because it's done on an iPad these days. But anyway, it's gone. Um, Formula One, the Emilia Romana. My favourite track. It's a great track, isn't it? It's Imola. Uh, I, the very first Grand Prix I went to, in form, obviously a Formula One race, uh, 1982, I think it was, last race for Gilles Villeneuve. Oh, okay. Uh, a very solemn place. Um, I mean, I, I did my little journey there and sat down in front of the trophy, well, the statue of Ayrton Senna and so forth, of course, the yep. track where he died and uh, Roland Ratzenberger the day before. Um, it's a good little track and it's back on the schedule and it came back in the um, post-COVID. So we've had... During two, COVID it came back. Yeah, during COVID. We had two Max Verstappen wins. Yep. Andrew, it is a great track. It's one of the last, how you would say, natural racetracks. It's an historic track. Tilke and his mates haven't had anything to do with it. <laughs> it's changed a little bit since it and, you know, there's there's new some new chicanes being brought in and whatever, but it's still an amazing place. And what's incredible about it, it is in the middle of a town. Yeah. And... You often see people sitting on the roofs of their houses watching it or out on their back balconies. There's houses in the middle of it. This house, it, it, it is, and it's such a beaut- – to me, it, it evokes all of those emotions of Formula One. Yeah. And it still has the capability of putting on good racing. We saw some races there that were wet. And, you know, this was famously, I think, where the wheels started to fall off for Ferrari last year. Um, and um, – yeah, it, it's one of my favourite Grand Prix of the year and I'm um, look, really looking forward yeah, to it. Absolutely. So last year, Max Verstappen won from pole. Sergio Perez was second and Lando Norris was third. Mm. What chance Lando Norris finishing third this year, boys? None. <laughs> Not unless there's a very, very substantial crash in the first corner. Of course, this is the famous um, place where, uh, where um, uh, the former Mercedes driver and the to-be-replaced Mercedes driver had a Massive oh, coming yes. together at uh, turn one uh, on the run down there in uh, was I think it was after one of the restarts after yeah. the safety cars 
when um, yeah, Russell tried to go around yeah, the outside of Bonas. Well, yeah, there was a bit of a misunderstanding. They were both going for the same bit of tarmac at the same time, but it does. It is a. Well, it's because they were going for the same seat at the same time. Yes, yes, yes. Well, anyway, it um, it was a big crash. They survived it. I mean, it, it, it it's testimony to the cars these days. I mean, when uh, the Senna's uh, death and and uh, Rat, Roland Ratzenberger were all killed on the same weekend. It was also the same weekend that um, uh, Senna's protege, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Barrichello, Barrichello had one of the biggest crashes I've ever seen. Mm. And he came down the uh, to, towards the pit entry and somehow managed to have a barrel roll end for end over end on the on the top of the tyre barrier between the the Armco and a big sign. And everybody at that time thought that was. You know, that was the tragedy, but he got out of that. And um, then we had that terrible uh, incident. But, look, it, it's testimony now to how safe those cars are. It, it's one of those tracks, it's a bit like Monaco. The full F1 cars have almost outgrown the track, but it still provides fantastic racing and it's it should be good. And it's got a great history. So, podium, Paul, what are we going to see? Well, I don't think we had need to talk about the podium anymore. We just need to talk about third place. Who's coming third? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who's coming third? Basically. Max then Sergio or Sergio then Max? Uh, look, Max has had his wake-up call. Sergio's, Sergio's had his chance and now he's been put back in his box and he's going to stay there. Um, so I think one of them, history says this year, one of them will have a bad qualifying run. So maybe Sergio's only third and maybe, maybe our mate Alonso gets into second. But remember, it's Imola. It's not far from Ferrari. It's one of their home races. Well, I've got you down for Max, Fernando, Sergio. No, I think I'll go Max, Leclerc, Alonso. Poof, bold move. Come on, PJ. Uh, Bruce, who have you got? Uh, I keep I keep wishing that a Ferrari is going to come good at some stage. I don't know why. I'm being delusional. I, I reckon that one of those Alpines is not far off from, from stumbling onto a podium. So I'm thinking it could be a... Um, Max, uh, Alonso, and uh, maybe um, Ocon or Gasly. I like Ocon. Ocon. I think that's that's just a that's we just we just throwing we're just spitballing what we want, isn't yeah. it? Well, we're just throwing balls in the air and seeing where they land. I'm not brave. I'm going Max Sergio Lewis Hamilton. There you go. Lewis Hamilton. That's the bravest call of the year. <laughs> you think so? Oh, man. I forget about the Mercedes. The world's greatest upgrades coming. Oh, is it? Yeah. Really? What are they doing? What are they doing to him? Has he got a new tattoo? <laughs> or are you talking about the car? Because it'll need to be the world's greatest upgrade. Oh no, this is this where they throw away the um the zero pods. Uh, um, listen, I you know my man Lewis has made a very interesting comment, and that is that um, Mercedes don't think the car's that bad, and they're not going to throw a lot of baby out with a little bit of bathwater. They're just going to. They're going to tinker with it because they don't think it's that bad. Yeah. They just need to tweak it. Well, so who knows? Isn't that what they're saying down in the Tickford garage? Yeah, something like that. Supercars, just quickly give me a podium for the supercars. I mean, it's hard with podiums because there are three races. But um, as I say, we did preview the supercars earlier. So tell me who you think are the um, the three main men. Hang on, three podiums. So we could throw in nine people and basically get it right. You could, but I cannot. Let's go just the top three of the round. Let's go old-fashioned and go back to round points, yeah? Yep. Yes. Go on, Bruce, you go first. You got to go last last time, so you can go first. Well, I'm thinking that I think David Reynolds is going to go all right this weekend. I think Cam Walters is going to go all right this weekend. And I'm so I'm thinking that my podium could be a Cam Waterson there somewhere. I have, you Which want me to one, give two, or three? I'm not going to give you one. No, just podium. Oh, just come on. the podium. Okay, so, so Cam Waters. I don't think Cam can be down for that long. I think that uh, Brody's on a mission, and I think Shane is uh, in the fight. So that's what I'm thinking. PG? Shane, Davey Reynolds, because I think they're going to be the best forward team again this weekend. And I'm going to go for Feeney. Because I think he's actually on a bit of a roll at the moment, yep. and if they get the car right for Shane, he'll get it right for they'll get it right for him too. No well, I can't ignore history. It's Triple Eight track. It's SVG followed by Brock Feeney with Cam Waters on a recovery run. So that's my little podium for you. Um, we're running out of time. Do we want to talk about NASCAR in North Wilkesboro? Because it's not actually a championship round. 
No, no, it's the uh, the All Star. The Ross Chastain Cup. <laughs> the Ross Chastain Cup. It's the uh, million dollars a win uh, All Stars race, which is a, it's it's a non championship race. It's an interesting race because basically, if you've won a race in the last couple of years, if you're a former champion, um, you get a start. Even the fans get to choose who the last bloke is. That well, it's a bit Formula E, like, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not Formula. It, it, it provides pretty interesting racing because with a lap to go, if there's if you're any chance of the win. You're fighting for a million bucks, so it's winner take all. But I wouldn't want to be, um, I wouldn't want to be Ross Chastain with a chance to win and uh, have a Hendrix car behind me because uh, Rick's basically told his blokes to uh, go out and get him. <laughs> I think it's great. I, I think that's great. You know, who are you? it's a bit like Collingwood in your in your precious AFL. Who do you barrack for? Uh, whoever's playing Collingwood. Who are you barrack for in NASCAR? Anybody but Chastain. <laughs> I'm going for him. I like him. I'm, yeah. I'm quite happy. <laughs> so with so many races, I mean, it's one of those things where Chastain's sort of, he's hit plenty of people and they've all got long memories. And uh, the interesting thing about it is that um, none of them seem to be concerned with taking, you know, take a prisoner as halfway through the weekend. But yeah, Hendricks came out and said he's got a lot of enemies now and uh, it's hard to win a championship when you've got a lot of paybacks out there. So. <laughs> It, what was what was the, the Owen Kelly quoted Jack Hewitt on the weekend, who's a famous sprint car bloke, who famously said they don't remember if you don't punch them. Plenty of people will remember Ross Chastain, then won't they? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Anyway, the NASCAR is very entertaining at the moment, I think, especially with the off track stuff as much as the on on track. So uh, that kind of wraps it up for us a little bit here, Bruce. Just quickly, this week's auto action we've touched on a little bit. We've got um, Brody Kostecki, We've got Fink. What else have we got? We've got a nice feature on Nathan Hearn. And speaking about Trans Am, Nathan uh, uh, has been a won the series the last couple of years, and um, he's got a deal to race in America. So we've done a uh, nice feature on what he's up. He's, but he's not good enough to run supercars, is he? No, apparently he's not. No, no, that's not good enough. But he's in Chicago, and um, he's doing a really good job over there. He's um, running at the front of the field, and uh, so yeah, it's a nice little reminder that uh, he's over there. We've got an Indy Five Hundred preview. Uh, obviously, your uh, feature-length quizatorial conversation with young Brody. With young Brody is good, and plus we've got heaps and heaps of national-level motorsport covered from everything from hill climbs and speedway and club racing, the whole lot. Because Auto Action's been doing that for more than fifty years. We didn't just recently discover nationals racing; we've been doing it forever. So, um, well, yeah. it is one of the things that makes Auto Action special. It is. We've got plenty of content. And as people say to me that they, uh, it's 60 pages and it's gold and it's lots and lots of reading. There's no fairy floss in it. It's meat and potatoes. As a mate of mine used to say, it's a two-bog read. (laughs) All killer, no filler. All righty. That's enough for this very messy episode of the uh, Auto Action Rev Limiter. Bruce, thanks for your time again. It's uh, Thanks, Andrew. Always entertaining. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, it's always great. Managed to get a plug-in for NASCAR. And that's the other thing about us covering national racing, Bruce. You and I have done a whole bunch of it over the years. So, you know, those people are doing the best they can, having a good time. Exactly. It's great. And where would the sport be without them? Anyway, that's it. Thanks. We'll speak to you next week. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 News know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 and the build up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.